It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van Alstel. Welcome to Car con Carne. I'm James Van Alstel. This is episode 710. And mid-March marks the return of Carcon Carne into the universe among people. Carcon Carne will begin its return to normalcy uh, in mid-March with a visit to the Wiener Circle, and it'll just go on from there. Meanwhile, mid-March, also an important time for live and local music. Two nights at Empty Bottle. It is Situation Chicago Live. It's on the 15th and 16th. Night one of music, including the likes of White Mystery, former Carcon Carne guest, Mirrors, former Carcon Carne guest, Neptune's Core. That's night one. Night two with Gramps the Vamp, former Carcon Carne guest, Justice Hill, and Nighttime Love. Al Tamper, two nights of music, 15 bucks a piece, proceeds benefiting Chicago's arts and music and civil, the Chicago Independent Venue League. Awesome. What if it's been a while since you've been to a show for all the reasons? Uh, here's a good way to jump back into things. Empty bottle the place for that. So as I'm about to record, or I am recording, as I'm about to bring on my guest, I'm drinking Wellbeing. This is their amber. It's called Hellraiser. I love this. Probably seen me drink this on Carquin Carney before. Yeah, this is great. It's not alcoholic beer. They literally go through the process of craft brewing. They take it to the finish line. And then they magically, I don't, I don't know how it's done. It's magic. They pull the alcohol out and it's non-alcoholic. If you want to try Wellbeing Brewing's various craft beers, craft NA beers uh, and CBD waters, go to wellbeingbrewing.com. Use my promo code to get it mailed to your house. 10% off with the promo code JVO. Cheers. So my guest tonight, you know, it's interesting. The Oscars are coming up. It is the... 94th annual Academy Awards. We all know the Academy Awards as Hollywood's time suck of self-congratulations. It's happening on March 27th, but some people take the Oscars very, very seriously. So with that, my guest tonight is author Eric Litt. His new book, Oscars Biggest Mistakes, a Superfan's Guide to the Academy Awards 1969 to 2021, is a fan's eye view of what the Academy got right and more interestingly, what they got wrong over the past 50 years. Eric Litt, hello. Hey, James, how are you? I'm good. And you, sir, are super passionate on the topic of the Academy Awards to the point where you wrote a large book on the topic. People go all out for the Oscars. They throw parties. Let's start with that level of enthusiasm. For me, I, to be completely transparent, I don't get it. I love music, but I'd rather eat glass than watch the Grammys. What is it about the Academy Awards that sucks people in that sucked you in? You know, it's um, it's a good question. And part of it is because I love movies so much. I love movies probably the way you love music. And I do love music as well. But, um, you know, the Oscars is just one of those unique shows that's kind of different from all the other ones. Um, and it's it's a show that I take in every year. Um, I consider it my Super Bowl. Um, it's just 
it's 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 really just total nonsense but i enjoy it i like the glitz of it i like the glamour of it i like all the movie clips i like the categories it's just it's a fun night i consider it i consider it my super bowl um i used to throw oscar parties i don't anymore but um it's still it's it's a night i gear up for um you know, I order up all kinds of crap to eat. <laughs> I sit in front of the tube. I have all my sheets and make sure I don't have any plans that evening. And I just sit there and I watch the show. I don't care how long it is. You know, it can be four hours long. It doesn't bother me. Um, I expect it to be a bad show because most of the time it is. But I just get into it. I just I like it because I enjoy the the medium. I enjoy you know, just the whole thing of it. It's just, it's just a fun night. I mean, you know, it's kind of like the culmination of the year of film, you know, and the Oscars are different from the other ones, specifically the Golden Globes, because I think the Golden Globes is a bit of a farce and there's and it's, it's nothing more evident about that than it is now. But um, I just think it's, it's the, sh it's the pinnacle. It's, it's the one, it's the award that everybody wants. And, and I enjoy it. Pat Oswalt's very recently called out the Academy on Twitter. And by the way, if you don't follow Pat Oswalt on Twitter, he's one of the, the must follows on Twitter. But he called out the Academy for not including certain categories in this year's telecast, including score, film editing, documentary short, makeup and hairstyling. What do you think? You think they should just go all in? I mean, if, if the telecast is already four hours, why not include these valuable categories or important categories? Yeah, I do. Um, to a certain extent, I understand what they're doing and I understand the outcry of it. I really do. I don't feel as strongly about it as I'm hearing other critics. I was on uh, another podcast last week and he was, he, you know, he just went crazy over it. And, and I've been hearing a lot of it, the same thing. And I know there's some outcry on it right now. Um, I think they should def absolutely include them into the show. I don't think they necessarily need to do it on a live basis, um, only because the show isn't just dire, dire need of fixing now anyway. Um, that So what they're trying to do is they're trying to make it a little bit of a tighter show. Um, if they were to say, we are not going to be including these categories at all, that's a big problem. That would be something that I'd probably be joining in the choir with. But because the Academy said that we are going to still be incorporating those Oscars into the show, showing the nominees, showing the winners in portions of the speeches, even though it's in an edited fashion, I think it's okay as long as it's done well, tastefully, respectfully, and it still gives these talented nominees a chance to show themselves and to get their moment. Um, if it's, if as long as it's done well, I mean, if it's, if it's done in kind of a pish posh way and it's kind of like, you know, speeding and speeding through it, then they didn't do it justice. Um, but I mean, the bottom line is that they still have to put on a television show and if it's a way to make things a little bit tighter, have things go a little bit smoother, then I'm willing to give it a try, see how it, see how it goes, not get so outraged over it, because I think there's more things to be outraged over. Um, you know, 
these are definitely absolutely important categories because those are apps. Those are things that contribute to a film, mm-hmm. but um, I want to give them some, a little bit of rope. I want to see how they do it first and see how it goes. I'm a little bit more upset be- of the, uh, of the fan favorite category that they're throwing in this year, which is done via Twitter vote. I just think it's stupid. <laughs> I think it's uh, more of a people's choice thing. Um, I don't think it's needed. Um, it shows, it kind of reminds me of when they did the uh, blockbuster choice or blockbuster award that they were going to do a couple of years ago. They force, fortunately decided not to do it. Um, that I find a little bit more irritating because it's sort of like a slap in the face to the popular films. And, you know, for years, the Academy has always ignored the more popular films, films that make money, you know, mm-hmm. every now and then they'll, they'll get some blockbusters in there, like, you know, like Avatar and Titanic, Lord of the Rings, stuff sure. like that. But more, more times than not, or Black Panther, more times than not, they don't nominate the blockbusters or, or a film that makes money or a popular film. And so to have that relegated to something called a fan favorite I find that a little bit irritating. I would like to see the Academy acknowledge mm-hmm. bigger films, more money-making films, it's because there's some of them are really good, really good quality. And uh, so I'm a little bit more irritated at that than the plan to have these eight categories in a, in a tape thing. Um, but I understand where people are getting upset. I, under- I see their point. Um, but I'm really, re- I want to give them a little bit of rope, see how it looks. So again, the book is Oscar's biggest mistakes, a super fans guide to the Academy Awards, 1969 to 2021. Let's do some level setting, as they say in corporate America, you okay. address this super early in the book. You're not a movie critic per nope. se. You're really just a fan. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm not a movie critic. I'm not a movie journalist. I'm not a movie historian. Um, I do work in television. I do have a little bit of history working with film. Um, But I am basically a fan. I'm a guy who just likes movies. Um, I like all kinds of stuff, but um, the book is written by in a fan's perspective. Uh, If you're looking for movie criticism done on a Pauline Kael scale, you know, or somebody like, uh, I don't know, Michael Phillips or Ayo Scott, one of your more, you know, recognizable yeah, yeah. That's not who I am. Um, the book is filled with movie reviews, um, but they're done on more of like a level for the Cookie Monster. You know, it's it's not. Uh, <laughs> I don't, they're like two or they're like three or four sentences long, and it's just you know I basically tell you if the movie stinks or not, and I'd say why I liked it, why I didn't like it, and uh, that's kind of like the level. I try and make it simple. I try and make it fun. And when you go into too deep thought, too, too much of a cinephile area, I think you start to, people start to zone out and, and then you can kind of ramble on and sort of lose your point. And that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is to be fun. And reviewing all these old telecasts, did, and this book is 400 plus pages. Did you, I, I'm guessing you did, did you sit down and watch every telecast from 69 forward just to kind of make sure you everything was fresh in your head as you put pen to paper, so to speak? 
I had to do some research for the earlier ones. Um, I watched, I started actually watching the show when I was about 10 and then I was watching consistently from there. And so that's about the age when I was able to stay up late and watch the whole thing. Um, but the earlier shows I had to go back. And so for that, I had to do some research. I had to go back and look up some stuff, find some old video. Um, I had a, a great BCR tape, uh, VHS <laughs> tape called Oscar's Greatest Moments from 71 to 91. And that was a great source. So I was able to watch some of the older shows um, and they showed some highlights and things. And I was able to pick up some stuff from there. That was a great um that was a great resource. Um, but yeah, see, I had to go back a little bit. I had to try and find some stuff. I mentioned the Grammys and for music fans, for rock and metal fans in particular, people still talk about how Metallica lost the metal Grammy to Jethro Tull in 1989. Scandalous, ridiculous. It, it brought out all the flaws in the Grammy Awards. Your book points out a lot of similar moments in the Oscars, what do you perceive as some of the biggest misses? I know it's impossible to encapsulate them all, but what were some of the, the biggest misses by the Academy Awards or wrongly um, awarded? Yeah. Sanctions? Well, for, for me, some of the, there's, there's three, there's, there's three that stand out to me and they all kind of fall into the, the Weinstein factory. Mm -hmm. um, one was, uh, and I'm going to give the movie year, not the telecast year. Movie year 1998. Right. That's when Shakespeare in Love won, opposed to three much better films: um, Saving Private Ryan, Life Is Beautiful, which actually did win Best Foreign Film, mm -hmm. and Thin Red Line. I thought those three films were a lot better than Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love, I liked; it was cute, but Best Picture of the Year, no. And then in 2010, The King's Speech won for best picture and I didn't see I thought that was a great movie I don't think it was better I, than everything well, I else liked, I thought it was a great movie. I liked him in it and I thought it was a good I thought it was a good movie but it, I didn't it didn't shake me as the best picture of the year I mean it's not something that stood out to me it's like wow I want to watch this again um I thought uh social network was a better would have been a better choice I'd have to go back and look what else was nominated that year um, and then in the following year, um, the artist was another one that won. And that movie says just overrated, written all over it. I mean, it was clever, sort of gimmicky. I enjoyed it for what it was, but um, I didn't think it would deserve best picture. And then if you were to go back even further, the one that I keep hearing about when we talk about to the book, when I talk about the to fans, People always bring up Dances with Wolves defeating Goodfellas. And I absolutely agree with them with that one. I think Goodfellas was definitely my choice. But what I would to say to that, I don't find that as egregious only because Dances with Wolves pretty much kind of checked all the boxes for a best picture winner. And it was the front runner to win that year. So it wasn't like, it was like, wow, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. It just, it, it was most people what the fans choice was, but as far as the way the Oscars think, the Dance with Wolves, I kind of expected it to win and it, it checked, it was big, it was a scopey film. Kevin Costner, first yeah. movie, you know, 
Buffalo. It was a beautiful movie, you know, cowboys and Indians, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it just, it was epic movie. It was just, that's, that's the kind of movie that wins. So I ex- fully expected it to win that year, but Goodfellas should have won. Yeah, I mean, it's easy, to make those, it's easy to make those assessments with the benefit of time. Like we all recognize Goodfellas sure. as one of the best movies ever, like a crowning achievement for Martin Scorsese. But yeah. in the moment, exactly everything you said, like it checked all the boxes. It made sense. The Dances with Wolves won. And to me, this is not like a Jethro Tull Metallica situation. Mm-hmm. You, you can make a case for Dances with Wolves in that moment, in that awards. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the Metallica Jethro Tull moment for me was... 1998 Shakespeare in Love defeating Saving Private Ryan. That's that's fair. Even though the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan made me sick. I mean, it was still yeah. it was a better movie than Shakespeare in Love. Shakespeare in Love is a cute, acceptable rom com, you know, but not best picture of the year. Right, and, and you said it. Saving Private Ryan left a mark. Those mm-hmm. movies that y- you can't forget. Those are the ones Lucky. that you think. How come that didn't? go all the way that's that's the thought process like that really that was it you mentioned social network which to me i mean the score for that movie is is fantastic Mm -hmm. you talk a lot about music through the book you talk a lot about academy award-winning songs um which really hit a rough patch in the 80s right well yeah that was actually why i wanted to do that category because in the 80s, you know, you had all these, um, I always, I, I wanted to do best original song because I think it's a fun category. And, mm-hmm. you know, the music I listened to in the 80s was not the music that I listen to now. I mean, now I listen, you know, now I, be, you know, now I'm a deadhead and I love Bruce Springsteen and, you know, and, and I listen to XRT music and all that kind of stuff. But back in the 80s, I listened to a lot of more popular stuff. But anyway, but the eighties was, was fun because in that category, because there was all these soundtrack movies coming out. And, and so opposed to the seventies, which was all these heavy ballads, like, you know, it's like the morning after um, we've only evergreen. Yeah. Right. That kind of stuff Mm -hmm. in the eighties, you got a little bit more fun. You know, you had power of love nominated. You had, um, stuff from Top Gun nominated. You had Ghostbusters nominated. You mm-hmm. had Stevie Wonder stuff. I mean, it was just, it was just, you had, you had more popular songs and the eighties was filled with soundtrack movies, meaning where you'd had all these great soundtracks where you had basically movies kind of filmed around them. Yeah. You no. Know, and, um, and, and a lot of those songs got nominated. The interesting thing, though, and I was thinking about this the other night, is um, John Hughes used always had great soundtracks in his movies, but none of his songs were ever nominated for right. an Oscar. Um, maybe maybe the Home Alone song was, but I don't consider that uh, in the same category as, like, say. Don't you forget about me? From right, that's Record the obvious Club. one. Yeah, Simple Minds. Or for sure. Pretty in, or Orchestral Man- was it Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark for Pretty in Pink? Psychedelic Furs, right? Or Psychedelic Furs, um, you know that kind of stuff. I mean, those those songs were originally were written for the, those movies, and those were completely ignored. But you still had 
you know, you still had a lot of, you had Footloose and you had Take My Breath yeah. Away from Top Gun. You just had fun stuff. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to do that category. And, and that, that plus that category always increasingly drives me crazy. And especially when we got into the 90s, it just basically became, all right, which Randy Newman song? Which, <laughs> right. which Bill Diane, Collins, yeah. Which, which it was, it was, it was the, it was the sewing circle of Diane Warren, <laughs> sewing circle. Um, Randy Newman, Phil Collins, Sting, and um, Brian Adams. Brian Adams had a couple, but even it's like uh, Phil Collins. It's like how many? Mm-hmm. This is like you know, and I like Phil Collins, but I mean, it's like it seemed like every single year you'd have a song in there. But but the, the love for Randy Newman, it's like oh my god, it's like every single year you'd find a Randy Newman song in there, and that's what you know from the '90s came on. And I think that it's just it's a fun category. That's why that's why I chose to to do that one. Oscar's biggest mistakes: A Super Fan's Guide to the Academy Awards, 1969 to 2021. Now, you mentioned Eric a couple times in the book that you haven't watched every movie mentioned in the book. Every movie that won awards it comes up a couple times when talking about Best Picture. I, I guess this is the hardest question I'll ask you all night. Is it hard to make a case for your opinion when you haven't seen every picture in every category that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, but I, you're right. Um, one thing, I mean, uh, one thing I will say though is that the movies that I did not see, most of them, were from, weren't like the main contenders, and most of the ones I didn't see were films that were ones that were the actors were nominated for. I think I saw of the best picture nominees, nominated films. I think I saw probably about eighty-five to ninety percent of them, going all the way back to nineteen sixty-nine. I think that's pretty good. That's not that, a bad record. Act, the best actress ones and the best actor ones. I know there's a few that I didn't see, and, I, and you know, like the Emigrants was one of them. The Bostonians were one of them. Um, Travels with my aunt. I mean, these are just some films for, like from there from the seventies and early eighties that um, they weren't the front runners. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because reading the book and seeing those yeah. names, like the immigrants, I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even know that movie. Like the name didn't even ring a bell. Like, right. And so it's like, I mean, you know, and some of these movies I couldn't exactly find, I mean, there is, <laughs> and, and I only have so much time where I right. can do this. And so I figured like, all right, if there's a movie that, that I didn't see or that I'd never heard of, instead of trying to um, make something up or trying to, to find it and sitting through something, I mean, if it's, if it's not even considered like one of the front runners, then I'm just not going to, I'm not going to deal with it. And most of them all kind of form this, they're all, they all kind of fall into the same genre. It's like most of them that I pass over are the British costume dramas. Yeah, all the period piece stuff. All the period pieces. I think mm-hmm. most of them kind of fall into that category. Like poor Liv Ullman. <laughs> I think she's listed in the book about eight times. I didn't see any of and I didn't see any of her movies. And and I've you know, and I kind of use it as sort of like a running gag. It's like, you know, it's like Liz Liv Ullman's in it, didn't see it. And she, you know, Liv Ullman, she's a wonderful actress, and she's she was married to Ingmar mm-hmm. Bergman, and she's actually going to be getting 
at this year's telecast, she's going to be getting uh, a career award. And so hopefully they'll do a montage. So it'll be a way to kind of see clips of all the movies that I didn't see that I listed in the book. But most of the things I didn't see are kind of like the hoity-toity British dramas. And and I don't feel bad about that. I mean, if, if they were... <laughs> and big, you shouldn't. And you shouldn't. You know, if they were big contenders, you know, it's like, or something that I've heard of. Yeah, I would have spent more time on that. I feel like, and this is a generalization, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong. It seems like your taste and your picks are more closer aligned with the Academy in recent years. And if that's true, does that mean the Academy is getting it right more often lately? Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job. Um, you know, they're over there, all of their picks. Yeah, I think, I think they're doing a little bit better. Um, the, uh, I was really, I mean, going back, I didn't think green would green book, which one, 2018 mm. i wouldn't i didn't i think that was a was a reach i wouldn't have given it to green book but i mean shape of water one yeah i thought that was the best of the year last year was nomadland i well, you know, last I year was rough they, for a million different reasons last year last year was rough and i didn't see most of the films until after the telecast because i didn't mm. go into a movie theater and i still right. haven't gone to a movie theater yet but um you know and i didn't think nomadland was all that great but um parasite i was so happy that parasite won a couple years ago mm -hmm. um i saw that movie like right before the oscars i saw it on v i saw it on dvd and i just and that movie just blew my mind and i remember me and you were at a, a performance and you would ask me about the best picture that year. And I said, I thought for sure it was going to be 1917. And you said, no, I think Parasite. And, and I kind of like, well, we'll see. And I saw Parasite, I think probably two days later. And I, I thought it was just tremendous. And I, and I really applaud the Academy for thinking outside the oh, box yeah. and, and not only not give winning, having it win for, best picture but also best foreign film in the same year because i don't think that's ever happened before so i applaud them for that um so that was good um so i mean i you know i think they're they're doing for best picture i think they're doing pretty good i mean you know uh you know they get it right more times than not you know i don't uh You know, I think they're doing all right. One of my favorite genres, if not my favorite genre, is horror, which can't get arrested at the Academy Awards. And there, no, been... and, I, and I and I wish it did because I would be able to include horror in my book because because there aren't any good horror because horror movies weren't really ever touched on in, at the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. I didn't touch on it in my book, and because that's a genre I'd really would have delved into more. It's a why. There have been plenty of artistic, really well-done horror flicks. There have been plenty of fantastically directed, well-told horror stories through the years, decades. Yeah. Why do you think? Why Is horror just stigmatized to the point that the Academy won't even look at it? Yeah, I think so. Um, there is, you know, it was the nominated Get Out a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. or two, three years ago, and that was a step in the right direction. They did give Best Picture to Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Um, 
and then you know no, that they, was what 1991 that was 91 and then you know the sixth sense was nominated as well mm. that's not necessarily a horror film but it does do dealing ghosts every now and mm. then they'll slip one in there maybe they'll you know maybe it's not a horror film but they'll throw something with a little gore in there like uh or some sci-fi like uh, the arrival or district nine or something like that but you're right. I mean, there's, and, and I want to say, I'm going to stick up for horror movies because I've been seeing some really good ones lately. Excuse me. And I just saw a couple really good ones. I just watched um, last night, <clears throat> excuse me, last night in Soho, which is done by Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. I thought that one movie was really good. I thought it was very well done. And even the remake of Candyman, which came out over the summer. Um, I don't know if you saw the original Candyman with Virginia Madsen from 92. Mm-hmm. I thought that movie was terrific. This movie I thought was even better than that one. I thought they did a in Jordan. Of course, Jordan Peele's involved in it, too. I thought it was just a terrific film. I thought they did a great job with uh, the Candyman remake. Um, yeah, I, I like that genre, but I, I do believe that it's sort of like a reputation that uh, a stigma reputation yeah. that's kind of, it's a little difficult to overcome. I think it's gotta be something really, really special for them to, uh, to nominate a horror film in there or even, or even in a subcategory because they right. don't, they don't even seem to go near them because like in which is effects a shame, or makeup or any of that stuff. Right. Um, the book again, Oscar's biggest mistakes, a super fans guide to the Academy Awards, 1969 to 2021. Is there a year that as you've done your research, as you've gone back through your cinematic time machine, is there a year that stands out as like the best example of either the, the telecast or just them getting it right? Um, 1997 sticks out to me. Um, 2003 sticks out to me the, the movie year so it would be 1998 would be the telecast year 2004 would be the the, the telecast year um i thought they did a great job in 90 1998 for the movies 1997 that was the year titanic one and that was a long show if you remember back then it was that show was almost four hours long but it was a good show um Billy Crystal hosted, and he started the show by bringing out the wheeling out the Titanic ship, which I thought was clever. Um, he's always been the best host. Um, I didn't particularly like when they brought him back a few years ago. I thought he was kind of old and stale. But the, the, his prime years, like the like the five years in a row he hosted, I thought he was tr- tremendous. Um, but I thought that was a good year. I think they got most of the nominees right. I thought it was a good, solid, entertaining show. That was the year they also brought out. They did sort of did that um, that big family photo where they brought out all the uh, the nominees from and right. the they brought all the winners from the last well, who's ever still living, and that was really cool because you saw somebody like Ernest Borgnine sitting there with Shirley Jones, and you saw all these people that you thought mm-hmm. were dead and buried. Kind of they're kind of bringing them all out. Olivia Havilland, they schlepped her out. I mean, you know, it was just really kind of cool. And I think they got most of the awards right that year. Um, and I thought 2000 and the year, the movie year 2003, that was the year Lord of the Rings won. I thought that was, they did really well that year. Um, that was the year Lord of the Rings swept, went 11 for 11. 
-hmm. which I don't know if you'll ever see again. Um, I absolutely thought that was the best movie that year. And and you're talking Return of the King. Return of the King. Yeah. And I think they got most everything right year, that right as well. Um, Sean Penn won for Mystic River and mm-hmm. that was a, that was a good year. I think they did I think they did pretty well. Um, it was a good telecast. You, you know, the, with the with the Oscars it kind of goes in cycles. If you have a year that's got good movies nominated where they um, you have movies that people have seen more popular films like another one would be 1994. Well, 1997, not only did you have Titanic, but you also had Goodwill Hunting and you had LA Confidential, you had The Full Monty and you had something else, another another popular movie. And in 94 you had Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption. That was another good year. Yeah, and iconic so, movies. So, yeah. yeah. And those, those are movies people have seen. Right. And so that's, those are the years that the telecasts are a lot more fun. People are invested. They're watching the clips are good. The stars are out there. It's films that people are seeing. They want to, it's, they're more invested in the show and, uh, and they generally get things right, you know, those years. So those years stand out to me. So on the other side of things was the 2021 telecast, the worst. Yes. Like without just without <laughs> hesitation, you, you agree. Yeah, that was awful. Um, and the James Franco and Hathaway telecast was a, was a strong runner up. But but that that last year was just awful. I hated it. Um, you know, it was just a joyless production. That's they it. didn't have any music, and the music they did have was at the was in the pre show. They didn't have any clips, and so when they had, I mean, it was when the nominees were announced instead of showing a clip of what they were in, like, or showing a clip of something with that they're nominated for like best costume, they're, they're, they're nominating. Okay. This is, this is what so-and-so was inspired by to come up with the best costume for Pinocchio. All right, fine. Say that, but let's see what the costume Pinocchio looks like. They didn't do that. And instead, it was just so much yapping, and it's like they kind of they just droned on and on and on, and it was just for as a viewer, it was just boring as all get up, and it was just a joyless, boring production. And last an telecast was just wrong on so many levels. It's like they didn't. I mean, it was just not only all the stuff I just described, but they also. The the immemorium was gone at a breakneck pace. You didn't see anybody that you you couldn't see any of the names or read mm-hmm. the names because it kept going so fast. Um, I would have had Sean Connery last, but you know that's just me. I understand why they did it because Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman had just passed away, so they had him last. But you know Sean Connery, I think he's a bigger star. But that's beside the point. That's just me. And then the stupid decision to have, I know what they were trying to do, and it blew up in their faces. But to have best picture third to last instead of last because they wanted to have a sort of like a nice melancholy moment um, because everybody expected Chadwick Boseman to win. So they had that last and they moved best picture to awards before that. I just thought that was dumb because it left the viewers confused. Right. And Chadwick Boseman didn't win. Anthony Hopkins won. He wasn't there. And so 
it kind of ended up on a thump. And then they also had that stupid um, name that tune game with Little Ray, and which, which was like a produced segment with uh, Glenn Close, and she, you know, she was a good sport. But I just thought it was just a bad, bad show. I hate, I hated every minute of it. All right, so March twenty seventh, yeah. uh, we get to do this all over again. The Academy yeah. Awards. What wins Best Picture? I have just watched Coda this morning, and I thought Coda was the best movie of the year. I thought Coda, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I don't know if you've seen Coda, but man, I hope that wins. And it just won the SAG award. So before the SAG awards, I was going to say power of the dog is your clear favorite and it still might win. I hope not. I didn't particularly like power of the dog. I thought it was a good movie, but I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, Coda, I loved. So I'm hoping that Coda builds on the momentum that it, from winning the SAG awards, kind of sneaks in there and wins because of the 10 movies out there, that's the best one that I've seen. I thought that I loved every single minute of it. I can't, I couldn't stop raving about it after I saw it. I thought it was tremendous. Um, and what I liked about Coda is that the movie is completely formula. I mean, you, if you watch the film, it's just your basic, you know, it follows a template, it follows a formula. You can telegraph the move of everything that's going to happen in the storyline, but it's executed so well and with such beauty and the characters are so likable and the little kid who, and the kid who plays the lead, Amelia Jones, she's just fantastic. It's just, it's a wonderful movie. So I hope it wins, but I and so right now I would say best picture is between Power of the Dogs, your favorite. Maybe Coda might slip in and win there. We'll see where the momentum is in about another week or two because it kind of changes mm-hmm. almost on a weekly basis. But I still think Power of the Dog is probably your your front runner. Um, I don't think Bell. I don't think West Side Story would was going to win. I think Drive. I don't think Drive My Car is going to win either. I don't think Nightmare Alley is going to win. So I'm still I took some of the best sweet notes too. Some of the best naps I've had recently happened while trying to watch Nightmare Alley on HBO. Oh, I liked it. I'm sure I, I mean I love the actors. I, I love Guillermo. I just it I just fell asleep. I, I could not slide into gear with that one. I liked it. I I thought it was I thought it was good. I, I liked the first half of the movie more than I liked the second half of the movie. I think once they brought in Clay Blanchett's character, uh the film began to fade a little bit for me. I was more entranced by the whole carnival stuff. I thought mm-hmm. that was, was a little bit more interesting and a little bit, and a little bit, it gave, um, you saw more of a little bit more of Guillermo's style in there. And, and I'm a big fan of his films, you know, Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Shape of Water. I love all that Pacific mm-hmm. Rim. Oh, I love his stuff. But um, this movie, I, I, was, I found it very interesting. I enjoyed it. I didn't love it, but 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 I, I liked it. Fair. Okay, so Eric Litt, if you are a cinephile, if you are listening to the show, if you're watching the show, you're a cinephile, you're one of those people who throws Oscar parties, bets on the Oscars every year, uh, this is your book. It's Oscar's Biggest Mistakes, A Superfan's Guide to the Academy Awards, 1969 to 2021. Uh, Eric, when you come back, we don't have time now, but when you come back, we can argue why I think Avengers Endgame is a piece of garbage. 
So uh, next which time. Game movie? Avengers Endgame? Yes. Okay. Can I tell people where to get the book? Please. Um, okay. My book is available right now. You can get it at the following website, EckhartsPress.com. And you you're going to need to spell that one. I'm going to spell it for you. It's E C K H A R T Z P R E S S.com. Um, so you can get it at that website. It's available right now. And if you want it even quicker than that, I will be signing books um, at Sketchbook Brewery on Tuesday, March the 8th from 7 to 9 p.m. This is the Skokie location? Main yeah. Street. Pardon me? The Skokie, loca- the Skokie Sketchbook. The Skokie location at 4901 Main Street. It's just uh, a little bit west of Skokie Boulevard. Um, it's a great big place. They, bra- they craft their own beer there. Um, I'll be signing books from 7 to 9 p.m. on Tuesday. And we'll be, I'll be talking Oscars, uh, doing a little bit of trivia, talking about my book. I'll be signing stuff, signing some books there. And uh, I hope, to, hope for everybody to come and show up and have a good time. Awesome. Eric Litt, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.